All right, well, we're going to be in um, we're going to be in Acts chapter twenty and picking up in verse seventeen. <clears throat> Let's pray again, Lord. Thank you for your word, and I pray God you'd speak to us, challenge us, <clears throat> and Lord, um, just um, stretch my voice out to last uh, for this morning, Lord. And uh, we are just so thankful. God, of uh, just having your word and having uh, the ability to, to glimpse into uh, the hearts of those folks that went before us that really were the foundation of the church and, and really to be encouraged and challenged by their lives. So we thank you for that. Praise you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so part of the goal this morning <clears throat> is to um, look at Paul's life, look at the heart of Paul. And then at the same time realize that there's application in that for us. And the text today, he's going to be speaking to the church elders from Ephesians and, and Miletus. But don't, um, you know, because when I first read this, these verses a long time ago, I thought, well, these are for just the elders of the church and really don't apply to me. But don't have that mindset because... Um, everything that's written in the Word of God is for our learning, our understanding, and our growth. And there's a lot there for us. So the goal is to realize that, that Paul's life is, a, is a, really a true picture of what commitment and devotion look like. Because as we, you, know, you guys all know, I mean, the things that Paul went through... Um, I don't think any of us would willingly say, okay, well, I'll, I'll switch places with Paul. I mean, he went through some really serious trials, some serious persecution, but stayed the course. Um, <clears throat> and uh, let's see, there's one other thing that I wanted to mention. Yeah, that these, um, and, and if you've been here on Sunday nights, we've been going through this on Sunday nights, and if you've been in the senior study, <laughs> you've, we've did this a couple, well, last year. That um, I just hope you read the book of Acts and, and, and look at these folks as, as ordinary men and women, just like we are. You know, these folks were, uh, at one point in their life, were not saved, right? They heard the gospel, they got saved, and then we see how they lived their life after they were saved. You know, there is so much for us to learn from the lives and, you know, the believers that we see in the book of Acts, so with that, let me give you an idea of where we're at. Um, you know, this is um, a section where we really see Paul's heart, uh, his transparency, his commitment, like I said, to the Lord. Um, Paul, um, we know from uh, chapter 19, leaves Ephesus after a riot. Um, the, the ministry, Paul's ministry in Ephesus really put a, a damper on the income of the idol makers and they kind of flipped out and thought that they needed to do away with Paul because he was bad for business. You know, basically what they were saying is that uh, the move of God, you know, the, the word of God was bad for business. So there's a riot. Um, they get Paul out of the fray of everything. And then at the end of chapter 19, uh, we see that he goes in the beginning of chapter 20. He ends up down in Corinth. He leaves Ephesus, goes up through Macedonia, visits Thessalonica, Philippi, all, the, all those churches that were planted. 
goes down to Corinth, and he stays in Corinth for three months. And uh, commentators tell us that while he was there, he wrote the book of Romans. So uh, no idle time for Paul. What'd you do while you were away? Oh, I wrote the book of Romans. So, you know, so yeah, he's, but you know, you see the commitment, the dedication. Everything was about the Lord. And the worship this morning was great because it was all focused on Jesus Christ, him high and lifted up, you know, Christ and Christ alone. Um, you know, guys, that, that's, that was Paul's mantra. It was all about Christ. It was all about what he accomplished. You know, Paul never took any of the credit or any of the glory, none of it. It was all about Christ. You know, and we'll look, you know, he, he, he told folks, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about him. So he, uh, he, he leaves Corinth, goes back up through, um, ends up in Troas. He, uh, they have an all-night service, and I mean an all-nighter, where Eutychus gets overcome with sleep and probably from some of the, you know, with all the lamps burning, uh, just kind of made him drowsy. He falls out the third-story window. Paul goes out, prays for him, you know, <laughs> brings him back to life. They eat a little something and then back to, back to the message. You know, they finish the message the next morning. So, you know, if you think that sometimes we go long here, um, <laughs> you know, that was literally um, an all-night Bible study. So Paul leaves Troas, and now they're going to go to Asos, and they're going to make their way uh, to Miletus. And it's interesting now. It doesn't give us a duration after the all-night Bible study, but it says the next day they left. So Paul chose to walk from Troas to Asos. There's a little peninsula there. So the Luke and those guys got on a ship and went around it to, to sail there. Paul walked across it. And it's just another glimpse into his heart. Maybe he didn't sleep all night, gave a message, might have been wore out, but he chooses to walk. He chooses to walk to meet the guys over at Asos. And, you know, you see his heart. You know, he wants to commune with the Lord. Who knows, maybe he'll have opportunity to share the gospel while he's walking. It was like a 10-hour walk. Just amazing to see his heart, to see his heart. And, you know, that's what God wants for us. That's the kind of heart God wants us to cultivate when it comes to ministry and our life. And, um, you know, our concern for the lost, our heart for the lost, and our heart for those brothers and sisters that we um, fellowship with. You know, the care and the concern above his own. And uh, what an example for us. You know, if you want to emulate somebody, you know, that's not a bad way to start looking at Paul's life. Or some of these believers that probably never were ever mentioned, but, you know, lived a full life in Christ. I mean, I used to want to be like Mickey Mantle till I got saved, and then it was, you know, I wanted to be more and more like the Lord. So you can see my priorities have changed. So in the back of Paul's mind, the reason why he sails past Ephesus is he is um, wanting to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost. And it, earlier on in um, these chapters on his third missionary journey, he's, um, he's collecting offerings from the Gentile churches to bring to Jerusalem. So he likes, he, his goal is to try to get there, Lord willing, by uh, Pentecost. 
and even that in itself, to, to take an offering back to the, um, to the Jewish born-again church, if you will, at Jerusalem, you know, as a love offering from the Gentiles, really um, was going to bring unity to the church. You know, that it really spoke a lot. So let's pick, um, let's pick up in verse 17, and we'll, um, you know, we'll just see where we get to uh, this morning. So it says, let's read verses uh, 17 and 18. It says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, they said to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. So he's, he calls the elders to get together. Um, and down in verse 28, he's going to refer to the elders as overseers. And those, those two um, titles are kind of interchangeable for the same office. What's important to understand here is not that so much, the terminology, but um, the key to that is, is that it's the Holy Spirit who makes the appointment to those offices, if you will. And that's so important for us to understand. It's the Holy Spirit who raises up leadership in the church. You know, it's the church recognizing what the Holy Spirit is doing in somebody's life and is recognizing that and, and just praying for them and um, putting them, you know, in a place of leadership. So in verse 18, it says, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, uh, in what manner I always um, lived among you. And literally, um, when it talks about ways he lived among them, he's talking about um, literally, he's talking about all seasons and all all the seasons of his life. He was consistent. He was consistent, and and it's interesting. And what Paul is saying is that you know I not only preached the word of God to you, I lived the word of God before you. Paul was an example. Paul not only preached the word, he lived it out, and that's what he's telling them when he says, "Hey, you know what manner that I was when I came to you? I always." lived among you. Paul was consistent with his walk with the Lord. And I know that that's something that we all strive with, right? We all want to be consistent. We all, you know, we want to put on, you know, Christ every day and we want to be consistent in living out our faith. And, you know, right, you can nod, nod if you agree or if you don't agree, don't nod, but I know you agree in your heart. You know, you, it's that commitment, it's that dedication, it's being consistent with our walk with the Lord. And then Paul goes on and he's saying, um, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. In verse 20 he says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, you know from that first day that he came to Asia, that how he came in this humility, how he, you know, how he served the Lord. And I want to give you a little bit of perspective when Paul talks about serving the Lord, um, what serving the Lord was to him. You know, it's, here's, some, here's some of Paul's stats for ministry. Paul traveled over the course of his ministry, roughly 15 years. He traveled 5,580 miles on land. 
6,670 miles by sea, and it's not like a, you know, like one of those luxury travel, you know, ships, cruise ships, okay? So there was a total of 12,250 miles over that time of his ministry. He evangelized about 1,500 square miles, um, which literally changed the world um, in the first century, and of course, has changed our lives immensely, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, what Paul preached. So for Paul, serving the Lord with humility, um, that's what it meant to him. That's why when, when we were doing the worship, um, when it was, you know, it was just all about Jesus, and that's what ministry was for Paul. You know, just getting out there and getting the word out. You know, so serving the Lord for him was total commitment. His total life, everything that he did. And it didn't make any difference how he had to get someplace. I mean, if he walked, he took a ship, but he managed to get there. And it's um, just an amazing example for us today to see and understand, um, really get a picture of what a heart that's committed to the Lord, to what, what a person would do. You know, we're blessed today. We can hop in a car. You know, we could fly, um, you know. I went to Italy on a mission trip and almost felt guilty saying that I was on a mission trip because Italy is so beautiful, you know, but it's, you know, we, we just have to, whatever it takes, wherever the Lord wants us to go. So in verse 20, he said, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. You know, so Paul says, I, I kept back nothing. He held back nothing that was profitable for the church. Nothing. Luke uses this term, and, and, you know, Luke's a doctor, and this is a medical term, and it's referring to holding back um, maybe food for a patient because the food at, at that particular time of the care for that patient might not be appropriate or something good for their recovery. So when Luke uses that term, that's what he's talking about, holding back. And Paul is saying that I kept nothing back that was profitable for you. I fed you. I gave you all the sustenance you needed to walk the walk that God's called you to walk. I've given you everything you've needed. I've held nothing back. Paul gave it all. Paul gave it all. And, <clears throat> you know, that's, you know, guys, that's a challenge for us, giving it, it our all, the call that God has on our life. And you know what? God has a call on every one of your lives, right? You're an ambassador for Christ. And how we go about that, if you're a little confused with that, just look at Paul's life. And, you know, sure, he had a different calling. God called him to do different things in us. But God still has a plan for your life, a calling on your life. And, you know, we need to be as committed as Paul was to see that through. So in verse 20, Paul said, I proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So Paul gets to Ephesus. They um, kind of turn him away at the synagogue. He goes into the synagogue for like three months and, you know, their hearts get hard. So he leaves the synagogue, doesn't give up, right, doesn't get frustrated. There's a school called the School of Tyrannus and, um, you know, they didn't meet during the day. So Paul utilizes that, you know, that place to, um, to do daily 
Bible studies. He ends up teaching the Bible there for two years and from house to house. And it's interesting if you're, you know, that's encapsulated in Acts 19 verses 8 through 10. But I, I want you to see the result of that commitment of Paul's determination to um, stay the course. He knew, he knew God caught what God called him to do. He doesn't lose heart when the Jews get hard-hearted in the synagogue. He just continues on, finds another place to minister. He ministers there, and then, you know, you got to think that over two years sitting under Paul's ministry, people are growing, right? House churches are starting to flourish, and so Paul is going from house to house, too strengthening the church. And verse 10 of Acts 19 really um, says it all. And it says, and this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now Asia is a, it's a pretty big place, right? It says that everybody in Asia heard the word of God. Did, did everybody get saved? It doesn't say that. But you know what? Everybody had a chance. Everybody heard the word. Paul didn't get discouraged. Paul didn't say, hey, later for these guys, I'm out of here. No, he, he stayed and he ends up staying in, in Ephesus for three years. Powerful ministry. And, um, you know, it's interesting. What was the message that Paul preached, right? Because, you know, you hear a lot of different messages today. But you know what? The, the message that Paul preached is simple and powerful. And so he says in verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed um, it to you and modeled it to you as well and taught you publicly from house to house. In verse 21 he says, testifying to Jews and also Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Simple, basic message. These two ideas, repentance and faith, are joined together by that little word, that little word and, and it means that there's two, there are two sides to the same story. So the gospel message that Paul shared involved two things, repentance and faith. Boy, the simplicity of the gospel, right? Simpli you know, repentance and faith. Paul was a, was a genius, but he was very down to earth, you know, and really just brought the, the word of God um, just to where we live, right? There needed to be repentance. So repentance comes first, and after that, there needs to be an exercising of faith towards Jesus Christ. It's faith in Jesus that saves us. And Paul wants to get that message out loud and clear that we can't earn our salvation. We don't deserve our salvation. That, you know, we, you know, we repent towards God because we've offended God, right? We were sinners. We were sinners. We offended God. There needed to be repentance from that. But once we repented, right, then there needed to be faith. Um, faith in the one who died for our sins, who paid the price. And we're going to see as we get going, Paul is laying the foundation for the church here, for these elders. Letting, you know, he's going to let them know all of this stuff is critical because there's going to be wolves coming in that are going to try to rip the church off. 
that are going to try to separate and divide the church. So Paul, while he's saying all this, you know, he's reminding them of the foundation of the church, that it's built on Jesus Christ and him alone and faith in Christ. You know, he doesn't want, and he doesn't want these guys to get ripped off. And, um, you know, guys, that's a challenge for us. You know, we, you know if we don't want us to be ripped off and we don't want the people that we love to get ripped off when it comes to their relationship with the Lord to buy into a lie. So, um, you know, like Paul is trying to, to bring these points home, you know, we need to do the same thing with each other. Encourage each other. You know, keep pointing, you know, one another to Christ and what he accomplished. And that, you know, whatever we're going through, that that's where the resolve is. That's where the answer is. That's where we find the strength that we need um, is in Christ. So Paul is saying that these are the things that I testify to the Jews and also to the Greeks. You know, and at that, you know, that's really, there's nobody else to, to share it with. <laughs> there were Jews and Greeks, right? The, if, there's nobody else in between, right? It's, you know, really, he shared it with everybody. Everybody. So in verses 22 through 24, he says, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except, I like that, except, that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. So Paul says, and see now I go bound in the spirit. Paul's telling the, the elders that he's aware of his need um, that the Holy Spirit impressed on him to get to Jerusalem. You know, he understands that. And, and you know, and he's saying that he's, he's bound by the Spirit. And don't read too much theology into that. I know there's, um, there is a lot of commentary out there. You know, is Paul in God's will? Was Paul out of God's will? Um, you know, I'll, I'll leave that um, up to the, the commentary. You know, to those folks, um, you know, basically I just thought that you know, Paul simply is saying that, hey, I can't escape it. I can't shake this thought. You know, I know that the Lord wants me to get to Jerusalem. It's in my heart. I'm thinking about it day in and day out. I can't escape it, so I'm going. But we do know that, that he was encouraged to go to Jerusalem. And he says, see, now I go bound, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So Paul knows that something's up. He doesn't know what yet, but he knows that there's going to be issues when he gets there. But, and if you get, uh, we're not going to go there, but as a reference in chapter 21, when Paul is in Caesarea at um, Philip's house, Agabus, a prophet, um, comes over to hang out for the Bible study. And he um, really tells Paul, describes what's going to happen to him, how he's going to be bound and led away by somebody else when he gets to Jerusalem. But he doesn't tell him not to go. He just tells him um, what's going to happen there. 
So it's interesting to, to see that. But you know, I don't think that Paul was discouraged or intimidated by that. And the reason I, I say that is just consider the difficulties and the suffering that he experienced up to this point in his ministry. Now, in 2 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. You could jot it down. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28. You know, Paul tells us this, and keep in mind that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians just three months before he's here in the text. Okay, so in, in 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, it says, now he's describing what he's gone through so far for the ministry. Uh, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, and deaths often. Uh, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Uh, once I was stoned. <laughs> Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. And that's not including the shipwreck that he's going to get uh, a couple chapters from now on his way to um, Rome. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, whew, in, the in weariness and toil, in sleepless often, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, and fasting often, and cold and nakedness, beside the other things that come upon me daily, there's other things besides all of that. My deep concern for all the churches. So what is Paul saying? <laughs> yeah, I know difficulties are going to be awaiting me, but you know what? What's changed? Really, what's changed in his life? That's been his ministry. So for him to know that something is going to happen in Jerusalem, I really don't think that sidetracked him or discouraged him from going. And you know, and this is just me kind of speculating, you know, maybe thought about, maybe, you know, Paul thought about Jesus' last trip to Jerusalem, how he was encouraged not to go, right? But Jesus knew he had to go, right? Just like Paul knew that, you know, that the Holy Spirit was prompting him to go to Jerusalem. And whatever happened when he got there was going to happen, but God was still in control. So let's um, read on a little bit, just recap a few of these verses. And see now I go bound in the Spirit, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. None of these things move me. Boy, what a statement. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I'm going to interject just another thought here about Paul and just to give you an idea. Because um, that's a pretty bold statement, verse 24, right? But this is where Paul is, uh, just to give you an idea of where he's at spiritually. I mean, we looked at some of the, the, the things that he went through during ministry. But it, where he is at spiritually in his walk with the Lord at this point in his life, the truths that he's already, these things that have been settled in his heart, 
um, the revelation that he's received up to this point that really is enabling him to say what we just read. So up to this point in his ministry, Paul has almost written half of the New Testament. Okay, he's written Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. You know, for me, I think it's safe to say that Paul knew um, that he was on track. You know, that Paul, you know, what Paul is saying, the way Paul lived his life, I mean, it, it, this is all through his commitment and his time with the Lord. I mean, think of the intimacy that Paul had in his relationship with God. You know, the, the way the Holy Spirit was able to minister to him. Paul's receptivity to the, to the word of God and the things that, um, that God was imparting to him. You know, and I, it doesn't, it, well, you know, we can kind of read into how it happens, but it, it's spending time alone with the Lord. Spending time in the word of God. You know, for Paul, spending time in the word of God for him was hearing it from God. You know, and from the Old Testament. You know, guys, but for us, it's, it's having that consistency of being in the word every day. You know, praying. You know, establishing some kind of a routine, if you will, spiritually. And, you know, always being open to more, right, of course. You know, but a steady diet of the word of God. Being in the word of God. Fellowship. All of that are things that um, led to Paul uh, being totally sold out for the Lord. And, you know, you can see that how he can say these things because he's like totally sold out to the Lord. God is speaking to him. He's, you know, he's keeping in step with what the Holy Spirit is doing in his life. And, you know, this can, this can happen in our life. You know, Paul was willing to put 100% of himself into it. You know, and that's what we got to get to that point. You know, and, and it's a process, but it's got to be a desire that's in our heart to get to that point, to, to have it be more about him and less about us. So, guys, that's faith. You know, that's how Paul lived out his life. And I've said this before, right? Faith is believing the word of God and acting on it no matter how I feel um, because God promises a good result. Acting on the word of God, acting on what we know is God's truth. Uh, and no matter how I feel, I think, you know, after being stoned and left for dead in Lystra, I think, um, you know, Paul might have got a little discouraged about the ministry. But no, he didn't, he didn't go to another town. They brought him right back into Lystra, right? I mean, Paul believed the word of God and acted on it, no matter how he felt. Why? Because he knew God was faithful. God, God was going to stay true to his word. And it's no different for us today. No different for us today. So Paul says, and you know, think of the logic here. None of these things, none of these, none of these things move me. None of the stuff I read to you out of 2 Corinthians, none of it moved them. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. That's why none of these things could move him. Because you know what? He didn't care about what is he, he didn't, I don't count my life as dear to me. My life is secondary, right? The first thing and the foremost was to make sure that you heard the word of God. He said, I don't count my life dear to me. Why? So I can finish the race or the course that God has given me. 
It was all about Christ and Christ alone. It was all about what God was working in his life and what God wanted him to do. That's what was important to Paul. And I know that, that, that you guys feel the same way. To what extent? You know, that's between you and the Lord. But that can, that can grow as we grow in our relationship um, with the Lord. And, you know, in the King James, it, it talks about, uses that word for race as course. But that's how Paul viewed his life, as a race. As a, you know, it's a picture of a, a runner staying in his lane. Staying the course. And I was thinking about that when I was thinking about this. You know, it gives a whole new meaning to that phrase we've been hearing about, stay in your lane. You know, the guy's giving the tattoo to the guy and says, stay in your lane, bro. You know, like I know how to do tattoos. You guys never saw that commercial? All right. Anyway, what Paul is, <laughs> what Paul is saying to the church is stay in your lane. Stay in the lane that God's called you to. You know, don't get distracted. And we're going to see something in a few minutes what Paul wrote to the Galatian church. But Paul's desire was to finish the course. And he believed that God had a specific course for his life. Remember in Acts chapter 9, when Paul got knocked off his donkey and, you know, Jesus challenged him? And what Jesus told him on the road to Damascus, that he would appear before kings and give rulers his, his testimony. You know, Paul knew that he had a call on his life, and Paul was, was, was going to stay the course. And it's interesting, you know, Paul is realizing, and I really believe throughout his walk with the Lord, that all of, this, all of the stuff that Jesus has spoken into his life, all of these things are unfolding day in and day out in his life. You know, he's experiencing the things that Jesus had told him in chapter 9, in the course of his life, just unfolding. And, you know, guys, that's how it happens in our life. Day in and day out, you know, God leads us. He directs us. You know, it, it, you know, it isn't like, he, you know, you, you're praying and then all of a sudden just boom, he just gives you the next 30 years of your life. You know, he might challenge you like he did Paul. You're going to speak to rulers. You're going to share your testimony um, to some important people, but Paul had no idea how all that was going to happen. So he puts one foot in front of the other and just trusts the Lord um, through, you know, day in and day out, and all of this stuff is unfolding in his life. And that's the way it happens, guys. You know, God unfolds his will as, we, as we're faithful. So it didn't change Paul's desire. None of the stuff that I read to you changed his heart, changed his desire. All he knew that God had put him on this course, God had put him in this lane, and that there was nothing that was going to pull him away from that. And that's really the tenacity that we need to not let anything pull us, <clears throat> pull us away um, from what God has called us to do. So why could Paul be so um, steadfast? Um, because he knew that God was leading and guiding him through it all. You know, how challenging is that for us? Sometimes we, you know, I, I mean, I could hardly talk, but, um, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, look at some of the stuff Paul went through. This, You know, some of our little infirmities that keep us home or kind of make us get discouraged, I mean, none of that stuff. 
I mean, is when you when you look at Paul's life, and I guess I'm just saying that, just so you guys see that, you know, there's things that we have to go through, and we can handle that because God is with us. So Paul says, so that I might finish my race with joy. So notice that Paul tells um, how he wants to finish that course, regardless of everything that's going on. He wants to finish his race with joy. And, um, you know, I say amen to that. Because, you know what, that's how I want to finish my race. You know, however I go home to be with the Lord, I want the joy of the Lord to be in my heart. To know that, okay, Lord, I did the best I could. And you covered all the rest, Lord. So, you know, there's that joy. Because, you know what, we know where we're headed. You know, that should bring joy into our hearts and into our lives. But I believe that Paul did just that. Now, in um, 2 Timothy, you know, we see some of Paul's remarks, some of the last remarks that we have from Paul before, um, you know, he's, he's martyred. But in 2 Corinthians 4, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8, um, listen to Paul's heart here. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. And, you know, this is the right time. You know, this is like 10 years after what we're reading about now in our text in Acts. Now, did Paul know that he had 10 years from that point on when he was leaving Miletus to go to um, Jerusalem? I don't know. But, you know, when we depart out of here, um, it's the right time. It's God's time. That's when we depart. If he knew when it was going to be or not, you know, I don't know. But in verse 7, it says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've stayed in my lane. That's what he's saying. I stayed the course. Okay? I've kept what? The faith. I've kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who love, who have loved his appearing. So don't read past that, because really, this is what Paul is saying in that last verse that we're all entitled to that same reward he got. Isn't that cool? You know, the Apostle Paul is getting that, but you know what? We get the same crown. We get the same crown. Truly, God is no um, respecter of persons. So guys, um, we all have our own course that God's designed for us, and it's important to understand that, you know, one thing that, you know, we see in the church, it seems like there's this competition, you know, within the church, Christian with Christian. But, you know, Paul is encouraging these guys it's, that we need to understand that, um, you know, that we're competing not against each other, but against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you know what? A lot of times our greatest competitor is ourself. The greatest threat is how you're running the race. How are you running the race? Do you think about it? Are you challenged about it? Are you staying the course? Or are you being distracted or sidetracked? And that's something that Paul wrote to the Galatians. And it kind of brought to mind to me, you know, like how Paul was um, just encouraging them and, and trying to um, share something, a truth with them that they needed to hear. In Galatians chapter 5 and verses 7 through 9, Paul is telling the Galatian church, You ran well, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, of course, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall, be, shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. So Paul is telling them that they're, they're running the race well. They were in their lane, but somebody cut them off, distracted them, presented them with a different gospel, right? And Paul is challenging them how they were running. And, you know, Paul gives us an example of how he ran. And it's an example that we could incorporate into our own lives. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, Paul says, And everyone who competes, right, the price for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we, that's me and you, we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus. So Paul's telling us how he runs his race. Not with uncertainty. We don't have to run with uncertainty. We have the word of God, which is true and sure and tried. Right? There's no uncertainty in the word of God. All right? He says, thus I fight. Not as one who beats the air. He's not fighting aimlessly. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, least when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is telling us how to fight, how to compete, if you will, how to stay the course. And it's disciplining your life. It's bringing your life in the subjection to the word of God, right? And that's sanctification, right? Growing in the Lord, you know, becoming uh, more subject to the word than our own appetites. That's how Paul fought. That's the things that he was competing for, just wanting to um, push himself to be more in more in subjection to the word of God. Paul wasn't giving in to his carnal appetites. You know, he's growing up as a believer. So let's get back to the text. But now of these things, but none of these things move me. Do I know I count my life dear to myself so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And in verse 25, he says, And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Um, that had to be heartbreaking for Paul to think that these men that he had ministered to and with for three years, that he was probably never going to see them again. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around that, but I remember to this day some of the people that impacted my life when I first got saved, how close I was, the relationship there. And think about that for a second. You know, these elders, Paul led them to the Lord. He's like their spiritual father. All of their growth, the things that they were learning, um, the experiences, the deliverances, you know, God, the things God was doing in their lives, they experienced all that with Paul, and Paul experienced that with them. And it's really a beautiful picture of the body of Christ and how it should be. 
you know, the church growing together, um, you know, just growing, um, you know, as of just that cohesiveness, the togetherness that we have. So I think it was really difficult for Paul and for these elders to, to think that, you know, man, I might not ever see you again. But, you know, it's, um, it's amazing. So Paul goes on and he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. So what is, you know, he's declaring the gospel. Um, you know, Paul compares himself to Ezekiel. And, you know, guys, the application for us is, um, you know, are we declaring the gospel? Are we um, that watchman like Ezekiel was and how Paul considered himself to be? Um, you can jot this down. I'll read it for you. Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 6. It says, The word of God came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land, take a man from among them and make him their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land, blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes away one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will be required at the watchman's hand. And Paul said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Why? Because in verse 27 he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole gospel of God. Paul was that watchman. Paul declared the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God. And think about that. You know, God, is, we're, God has called us to be that watchman because I know every one of you know what's coming. You know, the rapture of the church. We're going to be raptured out of here, but there's going to be seven years of just horrific times. You know, are, are, we, are we that watchman? Are we warning those people that we interact with on a daily basis of what's coming? Because if we don't, their blood will be on our hands because we know the truth and we're not sharing it. And I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. I'm just saying that that's just the way it is, you know. And, you know, we grow, we'll grow, you know, you grow into that. You get more comfortable with your faith and more comfortable with the way you share it. But people need to hear the gospel. And Paul is saying, hey, you know what? He's saying, I have not shunned. I have not, you know, man, I have shared the whole counsel of God with you. And I'm going to close leaving you guys with a thought because we're kind of running out of time. You know, but Paul is saying that he's innocent of the blood of all men because there isn't any part of the word of God that he was ashamed to share. And, you know, I'm blessed with the way that we teach the Bible because we teach it from Genesis to Revelation. You know, the whole counsel of God, line upon line, 
you know, one verse after another, book after book. But that's the way to get the whole counsel of God. You know, and that's, um, I'm excited about that, and I really love the way that we do that. But um, one thing that, one thing that I, I want to point out, that there's a difference, and I want you to understand what I'm saying. Um, it's not about teaching from the Bible, okay? But it's teaching the Bible, you know? So it's, uh, explain myself, you know, today, if there, there's a lot of churches today, if you would walk into a church and ask them, do you teach the Bible? They'd almost be offended, but they would tell you that they do. But the truth is that they're really, um, they're not teaching the Bible, they're teaching from the Bible, right? Because for them, every text is a point of departure, you know, where they leave the Bible and they start to promote their own cause or just an idea or a thought that they have. You know, Paul is teaching the word of God, Christ and Christ alone. What's he teaching? He's teaching repentance and faith. You know, those are things that, the, that we all need to hear. We all need to, to know what the Word of God says. And, you know, and that's what we want to know. We, you know, the Word of God speaks for itself. And, you know, we, we're smart enough to make the application where it's needed. But it really doesn't need a lot of private commentary. And I, I think Paul, um, really, when he, he challenges Timothy at the end of his life, and uh, to encourage Timothy, and he's just really right straight to the point with him. Uh, First Timothy, Second Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap upon themselves teachers, and they will turn their, ear, their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You know, these are words that Paul is encouraging Timothy uh, with towards the end of his life. And boy, what an encouragement for us as well. So Paul was faithful to share the full gospel of God, even in the face of persecution, even death by religious rulers. It didn't make a difference. Paul shared the word of God no matter what. Okay, and I want to close with this thought. And yeah, you know what? I have a question mark here, but I think it's appropriate because, you know, um, well, we won't get to it today, but if you come next Sunday night, we'll get to it. But Paul is going to warn the church that these wolves are going to come in and, and they're going to really just sow discord. They're going to lead people astray. They're going to be teaching false doctrine, the Judaizers, mixing, you know, the law with, with grace. A um, lot of crazy things going on. The thing is that Paul, he didn't care what it cost him to share the word of God, to preach the truth. 
And unfortunately, today, and you know, and I'm not, this isn't a political statement, and I'm not bad-mouthing anybody. I'm just saying the truth. What Paul said that was going to happen in Ephesus, the corruption of the church is happening today. And, you know, guys, you know, we need to understand what's going on in the church. I'm going to just give you just a plant, something that I've been seeing and something that I've been reading about. But it all goes back to being willing to say, look, I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't line up with the word of God, so it's not true. Okay? So the example that sticks out in my mind from a few of the, the things that I've been reading is, um, is the work of race relations in our country today. You know, it's the Bible, okay? Not sociology, psychology, or political science that offers sufficient answers, not only on race, but every ethical issue man has faced or ever will face, okay? It's the Bible. It's what Paul is saying that, you know, I haven't held back. I've given you the full counsel of God at whatever cost, even if it, and it does cost his life eventually, right? The Bible, of course, is at odds with secular theories like critical theory, intersectionality, critical race theory, and critical social justice. This is why the idea of a new canon, and that's really what some folks in the church are trying to do, is rewrite the Bible to make it fit in to their politics. Okay? And in Genesis 3.6, it talks about, um, you know, that, that there was this desire to make one wise, right? With the, that fruit, that forbidden fruit. Unfortunately, some churches today have one foot in the political world and the other one in the church. And the Bible calls that being double-minded. Okay, James first, chapter 1, verses 6 to 8 says, He who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And the thought there, double-minded, it's translated in the Greek. The expression denotes having one's mind or soul divided between God and the world. And Paul is warning these Ephesus, these Ephesian elders, that um, this is what's going to happen. You know, and Paul tells them, take heed to yourself and to the church. In other words, know what's going on. Know what's going on so you have a perspective. And this is just one example. But the point that I'm trying to drive home as we close and what Paul is going to be telling these church leaders, and of course, you know, they're going to bring this back to the church, is that we need to be aware of what's going on. You know, because the culture is saying that, that this is right and the Bible is saying this is wrong. And you know what? At any cost, we need to say the Bible's right. You know, we need to say, because it's in our heart, that, you know, hey, you know, you can think what you want and you can say what you want, but 
and I respect your ability to be able to have the freedom to say it. But this is what the Bible says. You know, this isn't making me right and you wrong. This is making the Bible right, the final authority on anything that happens on this planet, the word of God. So that's what, and, and really that's what drove Paul's ministry. That's what drove him as an evangelist. Um, you know, it was everything. It was the word of God, the truth, the reality of God's word, that salvation was only through Christ and Christ alone. And that there were moral issues. There were things that, um, that were going on in the culture at that point in time. That I mean, think about it. When it in Acts 19, Paul was in the middle of a riot. Why? Because he preached the word of God and they hated him for it. Because it was cutting into their bottom line. But Paul didn't care. Because guess what? You can have all the money in the world and die and still drop into hell. So if you don't have the gospel, right, I mean, that's the only thing that's going to make the difference. And Paul was willing to put his life on the line for it. And I pray that we get to that point. We're growing to that point that we're willing to say, hey, look, you can think what you want. You can say what you want. But for me in my house, for me, it's the word of God that I'm standing on. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And, and God, for just filling us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, and um, the conviction that we have, and, and Lord, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not proposing that we go out and are just, you know, blatant or just, you know, insensitive or anything like that. God, I just, I, I just want us to realize that uh, you have a call on our lives. You've given us everything that we need to fulfill it. And Lord, that we would leave um, here this morning trusting you a little bit more um, to see that through. And, and Lord, not being intimidated by um, the world. You know, we don't compete with each other, but the world certainly wants to steal our joy. They want to uh, eliminate our faith. Uh, they want to turn um, the Bible into just another book. And, and God, you know, just um, help us to um, really to um, just cultivate that, that courage that we need, uh, the love that we need for your word and for you and one another. And God, we just want to be found faithful. You know, and Lord, when it all comes down to it, when we're done running the race, we want to end it with joy, knowing that we're truly going to be in your presence forever. So we thank you for these things. We commit the rest of our day to you. Pray for your active hand in that as well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. No service tonight, guys. So enjoy family.